Hi folks, this is Ike Freeze from Dark Age, You're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another week of Focus on Metal. So this week's guest is David White from the band Heaven. This is almost like a part two of the Bob Nelbandian episode two weeks ago in the fact that uh, Heaven is technically a barrier band, although now they're kind of scattered all across the U.S., as you'll find out in this week's interview. But, uh, you know, most people think of them as a Bay Area band. And you're saying, well, why do you guys have him on? Well, besides the fact that they're a damn good band, it's also because uh, on September 18th, they put out their first studio album in 11 years. Also, their first album for Nuclear Blast. See, the album is called Empire of the Blind, and it features, obviously, David White on vocals. We've got Lee Altus, who's been on guitar since 1984. Craig and Lum, who came on board in 2007. And as you'll find out in the interview with uh, with David today, that uh, lots of input from Craig and on this, uh, this whole album. In fact, if you order the album from Heathen, Craig and sending it to you. Uh, they've also got uh, Jason Mirza, who's been on bass since 2019. And then uh, as of 2020, uh, their new drummer, Jim D. Maria. And also the album has a couple of solo spots from uh, one Gary Holt and also Rick Hunnold. And I also believe there's even a, a solo track from former guitarist Doug Piercy on here as well. But definitely a band with a lot of history behind them. So not only this week is Richie talking with David about the new release and the whole uh, changeover to Nuclear Blast and all that good stuff, but uh, he's also, you know, delving back into some of the history as well because, uh, you know, obviously when you go back and you listen to the uh, the Bob Nalbandian episode two weeks ago, Bob mentions Heathen several times, and, you know, they were, they were a pretty big influence, pretty big band, and hopefully... You know, this new one, Empire of the Blind, coming out is a harbinger of great things to come and a continuation of the legacy of Heathen. So, with so much good stuff this week, what do you say we dive right in as Richie talks to David White of Heathen? Hello. Uh, David? Yes, it's me. Hi, David. It's Richie here for the interview. I was, I was in the garage mounting a, a vice to my workbench, and then I was like, I looked at my watch, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so where are you on the west coast i'm on the east coast i'm in florida oh you're in florida okay i'm just outside of boston oh okay um originally from ireland though yeah i figured that you were i could hear your accent when i talked to you the other day yeah have heathen ever played in ireland no we haven't the first the first european tour was sepultura we were supposed to play in dublin and then for whatever reason that show was canceled okay and that was I have a, a bit of Irish blood, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I get to go go see it, you know, get to go there," and and I was really disappointed. Mm. So, what's the closest you've been then? You, you must have played the UK. We played the UK. We we played in Scotland. We played all over uh, England, like in Wales, uh, Brighton, uh, London, of course. We played the Hammersmith, um, the Underground in London. But yeah, I mean, as far as outskirts, Scotland. We played Glasgow a couple times. When are we talking? The Breaking the Silence record? Is it 87, 88? No, the, we didn't tour Europe for Breaking the Silence. We only did the States. On Victims of Deception, we toured with Sepultura, and we did a bunch of countries. It was six weeks. And then we went back 2005, when the band was kind of put back together. We, had a, we did the demo that was leading to the new record for Evolution of Chaos, and we did a shoestring uh, tour, I call it, where we rented an RV and um, a lot of fans helped us out on the way. Um, and also nuclear assault was on tour and they let us piggyback on their tour for, I, I believe it was the UK dates. I don't, I don't think it was any European dates. I think it was all UK stuff. Mm. And we actually, we played in, we played in Glasgow there. We played this club um, that I don't remember the name of the club in, in Glasgow, but it was, uh, it was like, fucking three or four flights of stairs 
to get up to the where the rock club was. Yeah. It was straight up. <laughs> it was like this little staircase. And it was literally like a 90 degree, you know, angle going up. And we had to haul all our gear up those stairs. Oh, man. <laughs> was, seriously. And then, and then above that, above that, the, where the rock club was, was a disco above it. And the, that's where the after party was. And we all went up there and we thought we were loud, but the disco they were playing and they played metal, you know, for the most part, but the music was deafening. The, the sound system in that room was, I, I did, and I didn't have earplugs. It was like, Oh my God, I wanted to get out of there so fast because it was just piercing loud. Mm. But we had a lot of fun. D- David, the first time you went to Europe, and you saw where all the dates were and what countries they were in. Any particular country you really wanted to have a look at? Um, well, like I said, you know, for me, I'm Irish and Italian, a little bit of English too. And and, and actually come to find out, I just found out through uh, Ancestry.com, which I didn't do, but my sister did and my nephew. And it, it, it may, be, may be that we have some French in us. But so back, but back then, you know, I... I definitely wanted to go back to where my family was from. So Ireland and Italy were my two main focal points, you know, to, to visit. Mm. Now, I've spoken, I've spoken to a lot of musicians over the years, and there's always a divide, they say, between the European audience and the American audience. But you've toured all over Europe. Um, could you even sense a difference in the, between the crowds in the different countries you played in? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would say, um, well, the first time we played in Glasgow in Scotland, um, that crowd was ballistic, but the police were total assholes <laughs> <laughs> and like, were flying because they had a barricade and people that would like somehow get up to the barricade or try to get over and like, so they could jump off the stage and stuff were, were met with, with a little bit of brute force in the pit you know, are in the, in the barricade by the, by the, the security. And we had to actually go stop, stop, you know, fucking with these kids, you know, they're just having a good time. Um, Spain, uh, was completely crazy. Um, super voracious band. Um, and then Germany's always, always good for, for heathen, you know, it's just different. And, and now that, and you know the the last couple tours, Italy has been really really strong for us. And a lot of the kids know that that I'm from Italian descent. So, you know, it's a nice little a nice little niche as far as you know having those kids. You know, it's like family to me. I have a lot of friends there now. Mm. And so, you know, but the crowds. I mean, you definitely, you know, you go through the different shows and and uh, you know. I, I, I can't complain about any of the of the, the crowds, especially in Europe. Um, when we played in Japan, we played Japan one time um, right before the, la- the last record came out. We played um, Club Cheetah and with it was Thrash Domination uh, Festival. It was two days, and that was with Testament, Exodus, and Creator, and we were able to tag along. And that was I think two thousand people stuffed in this this big club, and those fans were just off the hook too. There was great fans. Mm. Uh, you know, we definitely, we want to definitely go back there and play in Japan again. We we're supposed to play there on this, on this run for this new album. We we're supposed to go do a festival with Testament and Exodus, um, in Japan in September. And of course, you know, the COVID killed all our plans. So. Mm. What would Craig and do there? Would he have to do double duty with Exodus and, and yourselves? Well, no, because Gary's, you know, Slayer's done. So Gary's back. Okay. And Gary's doing it. Lee would have to do double duty. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a member of Exodus at this point. Okay. Okay. So the last album, The Evolution of Chaos, is over, like it was 10 years old. And do you feel in some way that you kind of missed the boat on the resurgence of trash that the likes of Testament and Death Angel have all come back and released multiple records and they've all gotten reviewed very well, but you've only done the two records. 
Well, it's, it, you know, that's, it's just one of those things. I mean, definitely we would have liked to have more material out. Um, you know, once we got, you know, things together in 2010, um, you know, with Mascot, you know, we had a lot of momentum. We toured for about three, three years or so, you know, which was the most touring that we've ever done. Um, and some good ones, you know, um, we did, did a, a stint with Sepultura and Exodus. We did a couple tours with Exodus. Um, we did our first tour coming off that record. We headlined and after all came out with us. Um, but then, you know, working on, we started working on the new record and then we, we got a new deal with nuclear blast and then Jeff Henneman was having issues. So Gary went, you know, to help out this, the Slayer camp. And then, you know, and then, you know, that Jeff Henneman passed away. So, um, they asked Gary to, to basically join the band and, and, you know, finish out and tour, you know, and finish out the Slayer run. And so the Exodus guys, you know, getting to know Craig on the road with, with Heathen, they asked him if he would fill in for, for Gary, because they knew that he was a very overly capable guitar player to, to do the job uh-huh. and that slowed heathen down it, it put us basically you know it put us on hold and it was very frustrating for me and and for jason vibrix as well uh-huh. you know to be sitting there and everybody's going on tour then jason actually jumped in with the exhorter guys and he got on the road and then i was the one left at home <laughs> uh-huh. um so that pretty much sucked and yeah, you see, you see Death Angel and doing all that stuff. But you know, the one thing with Heathen is that you know we we only have now you know four four full length albums. But you know, we definitely have put out what I think is is good quality stuff. Um, our our goal at this point now is, especially with you know the, with the whole COVID thing where we can't tour. You know, we've all been in discussions about you know now that the record's out you know, it leaves us time to, to just take the ideas. Cause we already, we have a bunch of stuff already uh, that just needs to be molded into another record. So if we can get off our ass and make it happen, then maybe we can have another record next year. Mm. David, did the new record, did you start making it and then stop and then start and then stop? Or, or did everyone just wait until everyone was ready and you just did it all at one time? Well, it started, uh, Craig and had actually, Craig and I started writing stuff early on. Um, and then we had about, Craig and had written music for about three tunes in the beginning. And then he started coming up with more stuff. And, um, and then I was writing some stuff, but there was lots of different, you know, issues, personal stuff. My mom had passed away. So that slowed me down. I had to deal with a lot of family stuff. Um, which knocked me out of the ballpark for a little bit. Um, and then once Craig started doing the Exodus thing, he was on his, in his spare time was writing more stuff. And then he started writing lyrics and he basically came up with a, a, a he doesn't want to call it a concept record, but it's kind of conceptual. And he had a, you know, he had a vision for the record and he just kept, you know, flowing in as far as writing goes, music and lyrics. And once, you know, once the smoke cleared with the whole Exodus thing, he he basically started finishing up everything that he had started and then started sending me stuff um, to work on. Um, and then we had to find a drummer, you know. Mm. It was bit, uh, Jim came, came into it pretty, I wouldn't say last minute, but kind of. I mean, we were looking at different drummers, but, but we had considered Jim for a while because he was a good friend. And we definitely want to be able to, you know, have band members that we can get along with on the road. So he was definitely, you know, high in the running. And then, you know, once we made the decision, you know, he got busy, worked on the material. And then when he came in, he just killed it. Yeah, definitely. Over the years, did you have, did you ever doubt that there'd be a new heathen record at all? Oh yeah. (laughs) I absolutely did. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of my buddies that know, you know, all the heathen guys and people from the area, you know, we've had conversations and, and I pissed and moaned about it, you know, and, you know, it was one of those things. It's like, really, it's like, I also felt kind of like, I mean, evolution was such a strong record and we, you know, and it was, 
for me, it was the best stuff that I had ever, ever written and probably my best vocal performance, you know, on record at that time. So I felt like if this was it, if that was it, at least we went out on a, on a good note, but I was very, I was hopeful, you know, and we had lots of conversations and finally, like I said, once the smoke cleared with Exodus, once, once Slayer was done, um, you know, Craig and basically, you know, took the bull by the horns and, and pressed forward and, and we all got on board and, you know, and we made it, and we made it happen. You know, luckily we, we were able, and it really, the timing was perfect to get Zeus, you know, who produced the record. Um, you know, five years ago, maybe that wasn't going to happen, you know? Tell me, tell me a little bit about him because I know he's done Queensryche and, um, I think he's he he works with the band Sanctuary. Um, tell me a little bit about working with Zeus. I don't really know much about him. Well, um, he's also done. You know, I think he's done all the Hate Breed records. Um, but even to work with Sanctuary, which you know, an incredible band. Uh, you know, um, he's also been working a lot with Rob Zombie, uh, doing movie stuff. Um, but he's a young guy. He's probably. Hmm, 10 or so years younger than us or me. <laughs> and he, he's a metal fan. He actually was telling us that, you know, he heard, he then heard Goblin's Blade on, on college radio when he was young and was like, Whoa, who are these guys? And went out and bought our record. And as years went on, he always, you know, he said that he always wished that he would have a chance to do a record with us. Um, and it happened. And, and anyway, but you know, I, I didn't know much about the guy, um, and Lee had met him a few times and, and it was one of those things where we flew to Massachusetts to work at his studio. And I was, you know, I was a little, I guess, I don't know, nervous, but just, you know, kind of like, well, what's this going to be like working with this guy, you know? Um, cause Juan Ortega, you know, he's a good friend of ours and good friend of mine. And, and I kind of knew how that was going to go. And, um, you know, we were able to take our time and work on the last record with this one. There was definitely, um, time constraints because he was also working on the new hate breed record. So he squeezed us in, in his schedules. And so we had to be very efficient and he was very efficient. Um, the way he worked, the way he brought out the best in everybody, you know, as far as recording and made everybody comfortable, um, but also pushed, you know, to get out the best performances and, um, you know, it, it was great because we, we went out there, there was no distractions from home. So to be able to have that was, was amazing. That was the first time we really had that where you're not going home after you're done today, you're going to go and you're going to get something to eat and you're going to sleep and you're going to wake up and you're going to prepare for the next day and you're going to knock out your tracks. And, um, but, uh, you know, the guy has an amazing ear, um, He's an amazing engineer behind the board. Um, I can't say enough. I mean, it was incredible. I, I look forward to working with him on the next record. And he, you know, he's on board. As long, hopefully, you know, the timing will work out and we can make that happen. But he, he definitely wants to work with us again. So, mm. uh, David, if you if if you look at the evolution of chaos, the writing credits, more, nearly all the tracks are written by Lee, and the lyrics are are done by yourself. On this record, nearly everything is done by Cragen. Um, any particular reason why Lee didn't write anything on this? Um, well, it, 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 just to clarify, Cragen wrote everything. Hmm. <laughs> not nearly, not nearly, but everything. Okay. Um, but in, and Cragen wrote music for three songs off Evolution, and wrote lyrics for one. Um, John Torres wrote two songs off the last record, and and had a concept idea for one of the songs for Blood Blood Cult. Uh, But his lyrics were a little rough. So I had to basically take the the idea and and write it, you know, make it better, I guess, you know, bring out the best in the song. But um, there was a huge contribution by everybody in that group of guys for that record. With this one, with Cragen doing it, um, like I said, it was just a matter of, sort of geographical and logistics. Um, and Lee, I think had a lot of material that was just rough, 
but he had been touring so much. Um, I think that when he came home, he just, you know, was trying to decompress and, and spend time with his family. And I don't think he, he just didn't have the energy for this one. And as much as like the last one where we were definitely putting something together after not putting the record out in a long, long time. Um, and he put a lot of effort into the last record. You know, you, you listen to songs like, um, uh, no stone unturned. That's a huge, huge tune. You know, it's a three, three part tune and something that he spent a lot of work on and a lot of, of, of time and effort. This one, um, I think he sort of, um, let Cragen get the reins and, you know, and it, for me, it's sort of like, um, is a way for Cragen to solidify him, himself in the metal world, you know, as, as sort of a, a new newcomer on the scene, even though he's been around for a while with his other band prototype and psychosis, um, they were not that well known. And with Heathen, um, it gave him, it gave him an avenue to, to really show what he could do. And, you know, he, he worked his ass off. And, um, like I said, we just, you know, we let him take the ball. And, and I think that, you know, now, um, we, you know, it fired Lee up. <laughs> so he's, <laughs> he's going to take all the stuff that he had, you know, the, the riffs and some of the riffs that didn't make the evolution of chaos. Um, cause we hadn't finished them up. We had about probably about three or four songs, um, in the works that would have been on evolution had we had more time, uh, to work on them. But, uh, and so you'll, we'll see those songs come out on the next record. Mm. So, David, you mentioned No Stone Unturned and it's, I think it's an incredible song. It's like over 10 minutes long. It's the big epic on the last record. Um, were you hoping to have another song like that on this one? Because it's a little bit more direct in your face. There's only like two tracks, I think, over five minutes long on this one. Well, the thing is, I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, but one one of the reasons, and it's 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 kind of a financial reason, <laughs> is that, you know, you do a song like No Stone Unturned, and it's a long song, there's a lot of effort, it takes time to record all that. Um, and when it comes down to um, royalties or publishing or anything like that, um, you don't get paid any extra for doing a 12-minute song. It, it, it's the same as for a five-minute song as it is for a 15-minute song. And, you know, that song basically had, you know, two, at least two songs in it. Um, and it would have been nice to be compensated for for that effort. And I, and I don't mean that to be selfish or greedy, but it just, it's just, that's just part of it. But also, and the main, the main, the main reason is we wanted to be able to get right to the, to the meat, you know, meat and potatoes of the song, you know what I mean? And, and have an impact so that it's never boring and never dragging out and, and just crank it up and then boom, it's over. And then the next one comes and hits you right in the face. Mm. You know, and and then you come back and listen to that the other song again, and there's and what we did is even though a song is five minutes, there's layers of things going on in those songs. So there's there's a lot of effort in every song. We didn't just go in there and you know set up and track it straight straight up and that's it. I mean we we definitely put a lot of time and a lot of thought in each song, and you know whether it's the vocals or the guitars, we you know with the layering. Um, because we want it to be where, you know, every time you listen to it, you hear something new. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that we definitely accomplished that with this record Mm. and hopefully with those shorter songs, maybe we could get more airplay. Yeah, true. Definitely. David, did you try and write lyrics for any of the songs on the new album? I did. I was writing, there was a couple songs, one that I had actually finished, but then Cragen had written something as well. And we actually fought about it, <laughs> but his was at, at the state of the game. His was more developed than mine. And, um, you know, it was where he just, you know, he really fought for, for what he had written. Uh, he felt strongly and, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to fight for what you believe in, you know, when you're writing a song and, 
I definitely, in, in the evolution of chaos, there was a, a few songs where, you know, I had to definitely, you know, get pissed and, and fight, you know, to make, you know, certain songs happen, um, lyrically. But, you know, we go through that sometimes where we debate and we go over what's best for the song. And at the end of the day, you know, it was about letting Cragen have his vision. Mm. So I had to, had to yield, you know? Yeah. And you know what I mean? It's, I'll, I'll catch it the next time. You know, I, I wrote a lot of songs over the years with the different records and, you know, yeah. Cause just, you know, cause sometimes David, that, that can be difficult because you're the guy singing the lyrics. And if you don't believe in the message of the lyrics, that can make you uncomfortable. Well, yeah. And, and so if there was anything in the message of the, of the lyrics, that was a, that I, if I had a problem with it, then I would definitely dispute it. You know what I mean? I would be like, I'm not, I'm not singing that. I'm not, I don't believe in that. That's not where I'm coming from. But the way he wrote this record, it was kind of conceptually, it was a continuation of what I wrote on evolution of chaos and even partly, you know, on victims of deception. So once I, once I dove into the material, you know, to learn it, to prepare for recording, I was totally on board. I was like, this is, this is fucking killer. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? yeah, I mean, and I'm still, I'm still trying to understand everything. I mean, I call him up like, "What did you mean in that line there? You know, what is that?" He's like, "Oh," and he's he's such a brilliant guy. You know, he's like, "Well, let me break it down." Mm. <laughs> you know, and and a lot of times, you know, when I we did a lot of press leading up to this record, and people would want, you know, the, a lot of the interviews would be okay. So, first song, the blight tell me about what, you know, and I'm like, uh, you need to talk to Cragen. <laughs> I can't really tell you. I mean, I can give a, a broad view of it, but I, you know what I mean? He can give you more, you know, detail, but I also, I'm a very firm believer in, you know, writing something that the listener can interpret and, and, and react or and have an, an emotional response or whatever response on their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, cause you, you know, there's, there's lots of songs over time that we've all listened to from Led Zeppelin to Black Sabbath and, you know, and all, you know, all the music that we've listened to over the years. And it means something different to most people. You know, you don't need to have to, you know, have everything broke, broken down every time, you know? Yeah. D- David, did Craig an influence the way you sang the lyrics or did he leave that up to you? Um, well, he did. He did track um, the vocals. He tracked them in, the, you know, as far as scratch vocals in his studio. So he definitely had ideas as far as melody. Um, but then, you know, he gave it to me and, you know, I definitely, as as a vocalist, I'm going to definitely want to bring it the way I would bring it. And so that was where, you know, he let me uh, be able to flow and and give it my interpretation vocally and, and, and melodically. You know, I didn't change, I didn't change the general uh, me- uh, melody, but um, definitely on certain lines and how things taper off or, or finish or start. Um, I definitely had ideas on that and we were able to work all that out, um, in the studio. Like I would say, Oh, this is how I would do it. This is what I worked on. And mm. what do you think? And he'd go, Oh yeah, yeah, that's better. You know, or I really like, you know, I really want you to do it like this. Cause this is how I, I'm like, yeah, okay. But this is how I would do it. And as a singer, I would never do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. and he's not real. he's not really a singer. So he understood that, but it was a nice roadmap for sure. Now, the instrumental on it, A Fine Red Mist, was there an attempt to write lyrics for that song at all? No, Cragen definitely wanted to do something that was instrumental. Um, you know, and even though we haven't done an instrumental, uh, we did an instrumental on, on victims, and then um, on Evolution, the, the bonus track that we put on there um, on the re-release, uh, 
Seasons in Purgatory, which was written by John Torres, he had given me that song to me to write lyrics to. And I wrote something to it. Um, but when I tracked it in the studio, it just really didn't come across. It was, you know, I didn't really, didn't really, I felt good about it when I wrote it. I liked the lyrics, but, but the way I sang it, it was just like, mm, I don't know if it's good. We don't, we, you know, we all felt like it wasn't quite right for the record. And so consequently that song got left off. And when we talked about, um, re-releasing it, um, you know, as its anniversary, um, 10 year anniversary, uh, we talked about bringing that song back and I just told, you know, Craig and I said, why don't we just pull the vocals out and, and make it and just make it an instrumental. It stands alone as an instrumental. So consequently we have an instrumental on the evolution now too. Okay. So, okay. David, do you sing in many other bands besides Heathen uh, or? Well, at the moment or over time? <laughs> no, no at, at the moment, because what, what I'm going to try and get at here is you see a lot of singers that they need to keep singing, that it's a muscle that they need to keep practicing with. Is, is that something that you get an opportunity to do with, with a lot of other bands? I do, but uh, now with the COVID thing and, you know, moving here to Florida, um, I haven't been able to do that. Um, but at home, before we left, um, I jammed with Terry Lauderdale, who, who was in Heathen for a little while. Um, he's a great guitar player from the Bay Area. Um, and we, it was a cover thing. We did like Ozzy and UFO and Van Halen stuff. And I actually did a show with them, uh, the Terry Lauderdale band, right before uh, I went into the studio to record this record. So definitely that's where I was flexing the muscle um, to record. And it helped immensely. But I also... Um, involved in a project that's kind of country kind of country rocking sway and i play drums and sing back up and some lead in that group it's called randy markham and the boys um it's a, a few of my friends that we put a band together and we would play locally and then uh i sang for another cover band um with thane rasmussen uh tom mitchell and uh uh randy ross uh, and Mike Miranda, uh, in the band called Evil Twin. And we did that for a long time. And then, um, and also Thane Rasmussen, he's from the band Animal Chorus. And they have been split for a while now. But uh, the lead singer for Animal Chorus, Aaron Zimple, um, passed away last year. And they wanted to do, first they wanted to do a benefit because he had gotten cancer and had his arm removed. Uh, because of the cancer in his shoulder and arm. Um, but then he had a massive stroke and didn't make it. And so it turned out to be a memorial show. So I learned um, a set worth of Amble Chorus material. And we did a show right before, like the weekend before um, California was, was shut down for COVID. Okay. David, when is the last live show Heathen played? Ooh, that was uh, 70,000 tons of metal cruise. Was that a couple of years ago? It was 2000, I think it was 2013. Mm-hmm. What does it take now to get, a, to get Heathen out for a run of shows? Because you all seem to be different. You're all living in different parts of the US. You all have different lives now. Like how far ahead of time do you guys have to schedule this out? Take COVID out of it now. That's kind of ruined everything for everyone. But in general... Uh, well, I mean, it's not a, it's not an issue. I mean, like I said, we had for this record, we had already the record was supposed to come out in June, and we had ten weeks in Europe. We had two five week tours starting at the end of April, so that would have been five weeks. And the first show was going to be Keep It True in Germany, and we had had it set up to where we were going to fly in a week before and rehearse in a studio for about you know, four or five days, um, to get ready for that tour. Um, and that's what, that's how we would have attacked that. Um, at this point, um, when things open up again, what we'll do is we'll have a, a location, uh, that everybody will meet and it'll, and I'm pushing and everybody, everybody agrees 
that and that we'll all find a studio here in Florida. And um, because we have John, our Jim, our drummer is in New York, so he's up East Coast, and Cragen's in Arkansas, so he's pretty close. And then the other two guys will fly from California, and they can all stay with me. Um, and I live close to the beach. So, and where we live is, is super mellow and, and chill. So we have a place to chill and we'll go rehearse and enjoy the day. We'll enjoy the beach during the day. If it's, you know, if it's summertime and then, um, if we're going to Europe, it's only a six hour flight from here. Mm, mm. It's a matter if everybody's got to fly in. It's, it's not going to be a problem. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I just can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of the shows are you're you're looking at Europe. Well, it just yeah, I mean, because the Americans can't seem to get their head out of their ass when it comes to wearing a mask. You know, you mm. know, half the country sits, you know, a lot of crap and they don't want to do it, and um, and the other half are being safe, and and we're just you know, there's just so many people in this country, and um, people are. Still, we're still having an issue. Still, we're still fighting it. Yeah, yeah. So, we can't even leave yet. <laughs> no, I know. You know, I listen. My my family is all in Ireland, and if something happens to them, I can't get back there. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. Well, I have I have a, a my one of my best friends. Uh, his son had gotten married right towards the end of the year last year, and they went to Europe and the UK, all over. Uh, for honeymoon and they were in Ireland, they were in Scotland, they're in, you know, England. Um, and then of course a little bit in Europe and they were hitting every pub. They took buses here and there, but they, it was right when it was all happening and they ended up, both of them, uh, got the virus. Oh, so wow. they cut their trip. Short. They cut their trip short. They wore masks, they flew home and they quarantined and they both got over it without being hospitalized, but it, you know, messed their trip up. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah. D David, but, I can't, you know, yeah, I, I can't leave, I can't leave you go without asking you. Of course, yesterday Eddie Van Halen passed away. Um, and the whole rock world is grieving over that. But as a singer, was there one singer that died that really had an effect on you? Wow. Well, of course, Freddie Mercury. Well, okay. Was that 91? I think, wasn't it? 1991. Uh, I, t I tend to want to forget the year and the time when people die. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, but, but I mean, I, I would say that, you know, he probably had the biggest impact. There's, you know, there's many, you know, even Elvis. I mean, that, I remember as a teenager, like being just like, Oh my God, the King, he was only, he was like 40 years old. But with the Van Halen thing, I mean, you know, I'm a musician. I play, guitar, I play drums, I play brass instruments, but you know what I mean? I've been a musician pretty much my whole life. And I remember when Van Halen first came out and I saw them on their first tour. They they were supporting Black Sabbath on the Never Say Die tour. I still have my tickets up. It was like a seven dollar ticket. And they and Black Sabbath let them come out and they played the entire record. And they were stellar. They what? were just stellar. And I was hooked. Wow. I saw, I saw them every time, every time they came to town pretty much for many, many years. And then even seeing them with Sammy, I saw them with Sammy, I think at least two times, maybe three. Um, but I saw, I saw the first tour, the second tour, you know, all of them, I pretty much, pretty much all the tours. I saw them on Dan the Green. I think that was the second time I saw them. Um, they were one of the openers. Aerosmith was the headliner. I was like 16 years old and I think it was my first day on the green and I lost all my friends that I came with, uh, coming in from the train, the BART train. Um, we got separated because they had closed down the BART and before, you know, it hadn't opened yet. And like some guys lifted up the, the fence cause the trains were still coming through. So some of us went in and got on the train and then we got separated. And so I, here's a 16 year old kid wandering around about, I don't know, 80,000 people. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. And I, and I actually walked down into the, into the crowd, into the field, you know, onto the, you know, the main part of the field. 
and ran into a girl that I went to high school with. You know, she was a friend and she was there with her sister and her boyfriend and all that. And they were like, Hey, and, and I ended up hanging out with them and partying. In fact, she just sent me a message earlier today and she's like, it's really sad about, you know, Eddie. And I'm like, yeah, well, remember we hung out, we hung out at the day in the green, you know? Yeah. And, but I mean, like I said, I was like, you know, I was barely, maybe even only 15. I think that's bad that I think I was 16 years old and, you know, that was a huge deal to be out in the middle of all this stuff going on, you know? Yeah. But it was life changing. Yeah. Now, when you, you saw, you saw Van Halen support Sabbath on their Never Say Die tour, and it, it's widely reported by a lot of people that Van Halen blew them off the stage. The night you saw them, were Van Halen much better than Sabbath? Uh, well, honestly, I, I'm a huge Sabbath fan, and it was the first time seeing Black Sabbath. So I would say that Van Halen was speller. They were great, but you just, you don't blow Black Sabbath away. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, and even though that was the last tour with Ozzy, it was that, that show was life changing. When I got paranoid, when I went and bought paranoid and put that record on, I was like, Oh my God, what this is incredible. Like it just, it was very life changing for me. And then I, my buddy from school was like, yeah, we're going to go see Black Sabbath. You want to go to the Green? I'm like, I'm not, it wasn't the Green, but it was a night show. But he's like, you want to go see that show? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to go see that show, you know? And they were incredible. They were incredible. It was just a, it was just a great night. I, I really don't like the, the term, oh, we blew them off the stage and all that shit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not supposed to be a competition. I, I, for me, and Heathens always had the, the state of mind that when we did the shows, we do shows, and when we did done shows in the past with local bands and this and that, you know, we want everybody to have a great experience. So we don't play any of the games like some of the big bands do where it's like, oh, you have to set up in front of the drums and, oh, you only get half the PA and all this bull crap, you know, no sound check and all that. We, we want to give the, the experience to the bands so that they have the best time and can show what they do. And we want the, we want people to leave our shows, not just going, Oh, he then was great. You know, we want it to be, that was a great show. All the bands were killer and what a great show. And then remember all the whole thing. I think that's, it's always been our motto and we've victimized of, of, from bands that were you know bigger than us or whatever that played those games, but we don't play those games. We don't believe in it. Yeah. Now, David, final question for me. And this is something that I've been doing over the last couple of years. I, I, I did a project on Kerrang! magazine, and over time, the Kerrang! writers, would all, we'd all start talking about Cliff Burton. And they'd all tell me where they were when they found out Cliff died. And, and since then, I've, I've spoken to the likes of Greg Christian, who used to be in Testament. And of course, he's from the Bay Area, and he's able to remember where he was. Uh, can you remember where you were when you found out Cliff Burton died? Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it was, you probably, you, you probably don't know, but um, Kirk Hammett is like, you know, a good friend of mine, but he's, and he's technically my, like my brother-in-law. Um, he's my son's uncle. And his sister and I, we're not together anymore. But at the time, uh, she was pregnant with my son. And we we're getting ready to move into a, a house that following day. And we were staying at the Hammond house uh, for a few weeks while we were waiting to, to move into our house. And we were woken up from her mother who was completely freaking out. She got the phone call at three o'clock in the morning. And initially, you know, we just heard her like, you know, basically screaming and crying. And we thought, we thought something happened to Kirk uh, because she had gotten the call, but, um, but it was Kirk that called and um, she gave us the news that it was Cliff and Cliff, you know, Cliff was a friend and, you know, it was devastating and it was just, <sighs> I, mean, I, I I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Hmm. Cause a lot of the musicians said that, later on that night or, or the night after they all met up and 
you know, they shared stories and had a few drinks. Did you get an opportunity to do that? Well, I didn't. Not at that state because, like I said, we were getting ready to yeah. move into a house. And so we were we were moving and, you know, I had a baby coming. You know, there was a lot going on in my life. And, you know, I'm at the time, I mean, I was, you know, I was part of this, I was part of the family. So, you know, definitely, you know, it was more, more of a family affair with yeah. what was happening, you know? Yeah. Because Cliff was, you know, Cliff was like a brother, you know, to, to us and, you know, but everybody, everybody, you know, if everybody got together and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's awesome. You know what I mean? But, uh, it was more, like I said, I, it was a lot of family stuff going on and, while we were grieving that, you know, those first couple of days, we were actually, you know, life was, was moving in a, in a direction as far as, you know, moving into a new house and, and getting ready to, to, you know, welcome my son into the world. So mm. it's amazing now, David, I'm sure when you look back at that and wonder how you even got through that, like you kind of, you probably had to compartmentalize things to, to get through it, that you had all these different things happening at the same time and you probably went okay i have to deal with this now and when you've dealt with that i have to deal with this you look back on that now and you think how, how you're able to get it all done well you know i mean it i i mean it, it definitely impacted us and impacted me because he was a friend and he yeah was, i mean he was definitely you know the coolest the coolest guy in the band you know and just just a, a great guy altogether. And, and such a talented musician and um you know i still i miss him all the time when i see pictures or you know when the anniversary of his death comes around it's it's you know it's definitely um a, you know sad sad time but um you know it's it's happened to me with my band i you know i lost uh we lost yaz um mikey skinsky who actually grew up with cliff and went to school with him in castro valley and so when when Cliff died, um, right around that time, we were looking for a bass player not long after. And Yaz, who was a guitar player, played in Van Griffin. They had split up. And um, he came, he was like, you know what? I, I feel compelled to pick up the bass now that Cliff is gone. And came in and auditioned for Heathen. And of course, we loved Yaz. And so he, he got the job right away. Wow. You know? Wow. There's definitely a, a close-knit community with all the trash bands in the Bay Area. That's something I, I definitely get from a lot of the musicians that I talk about, that there was a, a there was a competition there, maybe, but it was kind of a healthy competition, That, but you're all trying to raise the genre together as, as a group of people. Right. I mean, it was com- definitely, you know, it was some comp- you know, competitive nature. But like I said, for us, you know, for Heathen, you know, we've always wanted to, you know, to be great when we played. And, but we, you know, we tried, we, we weren't the, we weren't so competitive that we were not civil, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And there was, there was, you know, there was some bands that were assholes over the years. And, you know, and some of those assholes are, are good friends now. You know, but it was just their competitive spirit that, you know, sort of caused that assholeness, I guess. Um, but, you know, as, as time has gone on, we all can go reflect back and, and appreciate what, you know, that we all pushed each other, you know, to the next level, pushed each other every time we played together. And we all, you know, we all realize now that we were part of history at the time we didn't know you know what that meant you know because we were just doing it but now it's like it's like this weird you know like legendary legendary scene that happened and some of us are still you know doing it and it's now it's, it's incredible it's incredible to see uh testament still making great records and death angel and and now violence is getting ready to come out with the record now that Sean, you know, better, you know, it's, it's so amazing and exciting. And I'm super partial to the Bay Area scene because 
I think some of the greatest thrash metal, heavy metal bands have come, you know, come from that. But, you know, they influenced a lot of other bands. And then you have other bands like Destruction, which we were definitely inspired by, you know. So, you know, we take that inspiration from a lot of the new wave, new wave of British heavy metal, you know. That was a hot, you know, a huge influence on all of us in the Bay Area scene. Yeah, definitely. Well, David, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in in touch with the band? Well, we are uh, we have our fan club, which is uh, Victims of Chaos on Facebook, and we're definitely on Facebook um, and Instagram. I don't know if anybody's tending to Twitter or anything like that, but uh, you know you can. Generally, with Facebook, it's the the best way for us uh, to communicate back to the fans. Um, if you come onto our our fan page, which I said is uh, Victims of Chaos, um, that is where the band is. You know, we're trying our best to um, have dialogue with the fans. You know, pretty much daily. Uh-huh. Um, and it's fun for us, and it seems to be that the kids are appreciating it. You know, that they they like that we can. You know, if they ask us a question or they just, you know, have a comment and we get back to them right away because we, we give a shit, you know. We yeah. care what they, what they think, you know. Yeah. Well, and, D- and, David, David, do me a favor and not don't wait 10 more years to do another record. <laughs> well, I, you know, I definitely, that's not the plan. I mean, we're all getting older. I don't, you know, we don't have that kind of time anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said before in, the, in when we talked earlier, we really want to pull things together um, to get another record out hopefully by next year we do have um, a live record that we're, we're just trying to finish up as far as like mixing it and everything and we want to try to put that out um, probably it'll probably come out next year but we, we recorded uh, on one of our, our European tours we recorded um, a live show in Greece and um, it's pretty pretty amazing recording we have the best songs off of breaking the silence on there the best songs off of victims and some of the best songs off of of the evolution of chaos fantastic fantastic yeah Yeah, i look forward to that so david it's been a pleasure oh for me as well okay so have a good rest of the day i know you probably need to get back to work like all of us oh you know what i (laughs) i'm uh probably going to do a few little tasks around the house and then uh, take it easy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well if you ever get if you get if you get up to Boston way hopefully uh I'll get a chance to come backstage and say hello to you. Well, definitely. The last time we played in Boston, we played uh, I think the place was called The Church and it was really close to uh Fenway Park. Nice. It wasn't a big it wasn't a big place, but it was a great show. Those fans, it was the first time we played in Boston. And the fans there, those kids were awesome. Excellent. It's great to hear. And, just, and we just missed the Red Sox. They, it was, they played the day before, and they had a travel day they, that, that day. So John Deddy and I and Jason Bybrooks, we did, the, we did the tour of the stadium, but they were not there to play baseball. Okay. Yeah, it's a nice stadium, like really old, of course. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it's, I'm, a, I'm a huge baseball fan. So, you know, it was really cool to, to just be there. It's hallowed ground for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, David, I'll leave you go. Have a good rest of the day. All right, you too. All right, take care of yourself. Cheers. Bye. All right. All right. Hopefully all that talk with David White has whet your appetite to go out and get Empire of the Blind. And there's no better place to get it than right from the band themselves. If you head up to Heathen Thrash dot big cartel.com you'll be at their official store where you can pick up all the various variations of empire of the blind with the exception of unfortunately the cassette has sold out now i know that when i uh, you know needed to satisfy my physical product urges they actually still did have the cassette in stock but uh when i looked as i'm mixing this today and unfortunately out of stock on the cassette but You can still get the CD. You can still get this very, very cool splatter vinyl as well. So good stuff there. They even have the Empire of the Blind book. You can get an Empire of the Blind CD and T-shirt or vinyl and T-shirt. 
They've got the different bundles up there. Also up there, they've got the Evolution of Chaos 10th Anniversary swag. And if you are so inclined, you can get the Evolution of Chaos 2020 reissue with the bonus tracks and a live DVD. They've got that there as well as getting that reissue with bonus tracks in a transparent blue vinyl. And then, you know, also they have some signed posters up there for Empire of the Blind. They've got some bundles for the Evolution of Chaos as well. And, uh, you know, they got some T-shirts and stickers and patches and all that good stuff like any Bay Area band would. So, like I said, do yourself a favor. Head up to heathenthrash.bigcartel.com and, uh, you know, get your uh, your physical product urges satisfied and uh, more than likely you'll find that uh, guitarist craig and lum is the one packing it up and sending it your way so that is a wrap for this week uh thanks for listening up next week if nothing shifts and you know this even the next week's episode has shifted a little bit too but right now what we're planning to do next week is kick off a two-part celebration of the anniversary of Lynch Mob's Wicked Sensation. So that album came out on October 23rd, 1990. So another anniversary year for that one. And originally the way we were lining up the shows, we were actually going to be running it on its anniversary week. But uh, things happened and things slipped a little bit. But nonetheless, we are still celebrating the anniversary of Lynch Mob's epic album, Wicked Sensation, one of my all-time favorites. And I believe that uh, Richie is uh, in that boat as well. And I don't remember exactly, but I don't think that Richie got to actually see Lynch Mob live until we went a few years ago up in a small club in Salisbury, Mass. But I do remember that uh, 1991 Lynch Mob Wicked Sensation tour, April 3rd in Boston, Great show, and uh, me and my buddy Scott went. Yep, Scott and Scott. Twin Scott assholes going to a lynch mob show. And I do remember quite a few people there that were only there to kind of make the scene. They definitely weren't there for the band. It was just, you know, the scene and to be seen. But we were definitely there to hear everything that uh, George and the rest of the band were launching at us. And then the same two assholes saw lynch mob again. In, uh, in August of uh, the following year at Axis in Boston as well. So obviously, you know, long-time Lynch Mob fan. In fact, even at my desk at work at the time, I even had the cover for this album just posted in front of my desk. And so to do that upright, we're going to kick it off with uh, episode one as we talk to bassist Anthony Esposito. Uh, not the first time we've had Espo on the show, but uh, first time we have him on talking about Wicked Sensation. So we're getting it from Anthony's point of view where he's pretty much the, the new guy, the new boy in town, you know, up to the big leagues and, uh, you know, wide-eyed, whole new thing for him. So good, uh, good way of looking at it from Anthony's point of view and uh, good stuff, great stories and a lot of good memories from Anthony. And then, as we do like to do quite a bit, if we can, we flip to the other side of the glass as we talk with producer Max Norman. So Max was one of two producers that uh, were involved in the Wicked Sensation album, and you'll find out all about that as well over those next two episodes about how they started off with two and then ended up with one and all that good stuff. So there's a whole multi-producer soap opera wrapped up in the tale of Wicked Sensation and Max will get into all of that with us not next week but the week after on part two of our Wicked Sensation anniversary special. So a great way to round up October and kick off Metal Month 2020 in November. But as I said that is going to do it for this week. Hope you enjoyed all the convo with David And again, going out and getting yourself a copy of that Heathen album. Because, you know, remember, with no tours going on, it's really the bands out there are depending on people like you and I to go and buy some physical product and support their passion and keep things going. So I urge you to keep the faith, go out there and do that. I did, like I said, I got both the CD and the vinyl of this album, and it's all good stuff. But uh, yeah, again, this week, uh, you know, all done. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is indeed well and truly cooked. 
for Richie, for myself, everybody else here at Focus on Metal. Hope you guys are keeping safe. We, as always, thank and appreciate you for listening to us each and every week. And, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.